Hello, and welcome to episode 51 of Brews Less Traveled, the podcast exploring the best uncharted craft beer cities across the U.S. I'm your host, Brian Hathaway, and uh, unfortunately, I have run into some travel issues that are causing me to not be there for the recording of the show tonight. Uh, It's a huge bummer for me because we got some great beers from our wonderful featured brewery, Fair State Brewing Cooperative, and we have a great guest, Um, and I can't be be there for it, so that's a bummer. But the show must go on. So I have a fill-in co-host. Please join me, uh, fill-in co-host. I have a fill-in host. We still have two wonderful co-hosts tonight. Uh, but I have a fill-in host. Uh, please join me in welcoming my wonderful co-worker, the producer of this very show, uh, former co-host of the show, and your host for this episode of Bruise Less Traveled, Laura Juntinen. Cheers, everybody. And hello. Hello, everyone. And thank you, Brian, for that great introduction. Welcome, everyone, to the show. I'm so excited to be here and share some beers with Glenn and Ethan and everyone at home. So, Glenn and Ethan, how are you guys doing tonight? Doing great. Uh, good, good, Really great to be here yet again. Uh how, how are you tonight, Laura? Welcome, welcome. It's wonderful to have you have you here, uh, have you hosting. Uh, sorry, Brian couldn't make it, but it's great to see you here. And it's also really good to see Ethan back here again. Yeah, yeah. I missed you guys last week. I am back from assignment. I am ready for an excellent episode, and I'm ready to drink some beers. Ethan, I, I've actually been meaning to ask you because I haven't yeah. really been in touch with you this past week. Uh, what, yeah, what, assi- what assignment were you on? Yeah, I, I was actually just thinking that I produced the show and I didn't even know what Ethan, what assignment Ethan was on. So it's it's very secretive. What's What's been going on? Guys, you know, a beer vendor never reveals their secrets. No, no, no. I just <laughs> I am just kidding, everyone. It is actually it was actually a very special assignment. I was in Minneapolis of all places. Who would have thought? Oh, That's no crazy. Way. For those of you who may be listening along, you might know that while I do currently call Gotham City my home, I grew up in Minneapolis, St. Paul, so I'm really excited to be hanging out this week. And for a somewhat secretive reason, I was back in the Twin Cities, uh, and as a part of that, I got to go hang out with my parents and my dad, who I haven't seen, who is a giant beer nerd. Uh, And so I showed up, and he decided, uh, you know, he wanted to have a beer with me, and I thought, well, that sounds great. And what does he pull out of the fridge but a beer from this little brewery you might have heard of called Fair State. So our first beer together was the Party Forward, uh, which is a delightful IPA that we had. Uh, and then we had a couple other Twin Cities-based beers, and I bounced around to a brewery or two during my misadventures there, mostly in Rochester, Minnesota. But it was great to, to be back in Minnesota, so I'm glad to be revitalized and bringing that Minneapolis love to you guys tonight. Well, awesome. I mean, one thing I know is that mm. that is an assignment I would take any day drinking a oh, beer yeah. with family. Oh, it's always a good time. Always a good time. Yeah. Uh, but I, but I also know we've got an excellent episode lined up for everyone today. Of course, we're still making our way through the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, and St. Paul. And as Brian mentioned in the intro, we're going to be featuring a brewery that Ethan just mentioned: Fair State Brewing Co-op. What? Amazing! It's like it's like we planned this, except we totally didn't. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like we sent these beers to everyone's house a month ago or something exactly. like that. <laughs> so Ethan, what, what beers are we drinking again? 
Oh, well, we've got two lovely ones. Uh, we've got the Vienna Lager, uh, and we also have got uh, the Pills, these two beautiful tall boys right here. Oh, excellent. I like I like we're doing the tall boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're good ones. They're big pours, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to them. I'm looking forward to the beers, and I'm also really looking forward to our guest, Nico Tonks, who mm-hmm. is one of the founders of Fair State. Obviously, this episode is special because we are just flipping everything on its head. Um, So because it is a special episode this week and because Glenn, Ethan and I are very excited to talk to our guest about these awesome beers and the special brewery that Fair State is, we're actually going to switch it up a bit again, putting it on its head and we're going to bring our guest on for both beers tonight. So please join us in welcoming our guest, the founding brewer and director of new product development at Fair State, Nico Tonks. Welcome. Hey, Nico. Welcome, hey everybody. Thanks for having me. Yes, thank you for joining us. I mean, we really just got to jump in starting with the beer right away. Yeah. So we're going to be starting with the Vienna Lager. So Nico, as we crack open these beers, can you tell us a little bit about it? That was a pretty good sound effect, like perfect. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. So this is actually, this is a fantastic beer for everybody to be drinking at home to get a really good sense of who we are and what we do. Um, so this is this beer only gets put into cans uh, once a year. So this is Ooh. this is the one run um, that y'all have, but um, it's always on tap in the tap room and um, it's always in the top two or three beers um, that we sell both on-premise and to go out of the tap room. So it's, it's a customer favorite. We are a cooperatively owned business. So there's 2,700 people that own the brewery and it just so happens that those 2,700 people really, really like Vienna Lager. It's just not a not a good fit for our year-round distribution, but it is like we're out of it right now because we sold too much. So we have trouble keeping it on in the tap room. As far as what it is, Vienna Lager is kind of, I mean, it says Amber Lager on there to kind of make it easy for people. Um, it is historically would have been the city of Vienna's answer to like Munich Helles or Pilsen in Pils. Typically, what's really interesting is that people don't really make Vienna Lager in Vienna anymore. Um, the vast majority of Vienna lager that gets made gets made in the United States and also in Mexico. And so um, there's a strong German connection in central Texas, where I used to be a brewer, um, that then went across the border uh, into what is now Mexico. And so our version of Vienna lager is very heavily influenced by those beers. So it's going to be a little bit drier, a little bit uh, hoppier. It's all sterling, a domestic hop. Um, and actually this batch, we used Vienna malt and Munich malt from Proximity, uh, which is Colorado grown barley. Very cool. It's funny. One of my favorite things about the names of beers is they always keep their origin, even if it eventually has nothing to do with it. Like India Pale Ale, Russian Imperial mm. Stout, West Coast IPA, East Coast IPA. Once they take off, they don't even, it, it just, it, wherever they're made, that's what they're still called. Is what it is. Yeah. yeah. And, we, and we really do. We give beers uh, names now. These The two beers that we're drinking here tonight are, are really like OG, original Fair State beers, both mm. first made in 2014. And back then we had a habit of like, if it's a pills, it's Fair State pills. It is what it is, you know? <laughs> and I'm, I have to say, I am really enjoying the first sips. How about you guys, Glenn, Ethan, you enjoying it? The aromas are out of this world. Like it was just jumping straight up there. Super toasty. I got all the beautiful malts in there. I'm a little like almost maybe woodsy. I was feeling some like backwoods Minnesota kind of feel to it. I love everything about that. 
Yeah, it's 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 light body, but it's got a really rich flavor for five point three percent. This is this is really delicious. Yeah, we so lager brewing is near and dear to our heart. You know, 50, 60 some odd percent of what we make is IPA. Um, mm. But if you ask anybody who works at the brewery or anybody who really, yeah, anybody who works for Fair State, pretty much, it's always going to come back to lagers. Um, and we do employ a bunch of really traditional kind of old world brewing techniques that really do kind of help dial in. Um, it's malty, but not sweet. And to me, that's, you know, that's hot side manipulation. That's doing stuff in the brew house to really make the exact wort that we want. It's going to come out the way that we want it to be. Yeah. So I want to talk about your name, Fair State. Um, uh, you know, I know Minnesota has got, is known for its fair, but I want you to tell me a little bit about the origins of, of the name. Yeah. So I think you definitely hit on it. Um, we, it turns out that naming, we were all, we were all full of ideas, you know, everything we're going to do, we had it all nailed down. We knew exactly what it was going to be, but the right. name, the name really resisted, uh, us. Um, and so actually we, we enlisted the help of a design firm who helped us with our initial branding as well to sort of brainstorm some names. And this is one they, they came up with actually. So, um, it does reference the state fair. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it makes it easy to say. Um, it is sometimes confusing for people on the phone when I'm trying to order something. It's like, yeah, Fair State Brewing. It's like the State Fair, but backwards. It doesn't it doesn't always go through. But it's a <laughs> it's a it's a callback to that that grand Minnesota tradition, and then also a nod to our emphasis on kind of well, it's not revolutionary anymore. I mean, there's now there's at least three brewery co-ops just in Minnesota, which is fantastic. But our our ideas about you know changing the way corporate governance works in small breweries and mm -hmm. trying to bring more people into the equation. That's so amazing. I'm curious, can you get it at the great Minnesota get together, the Minnesota state fair? Yeah, you, you sure can. You might not be able to get that particular beer, um, okay. but yeah, we're yes. I would, I would hope so. They, it feels like it would be a missed opportunity for them. If you guys were not served at the Minnesota state fair, <laughs> well, there's, there's some politics involved in the Minnesota state fair for sure. So of course, um, yes, yeah. naturally. Yeah. Oh, naturally. Politics always getting yeah. in the way. Yeah. Big oh, business, a... big business. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's interesting, uh, Nico, I've, I've been familiar with uh, Fair State going all the way back to the beginning of 2021. Curious to know a little bit more about how, well, specifically how the idea of having a worker-owned co-op, because I know that a co-op means, of course, a lot of people in the community have shares, but also workers have a more stake in that. And was curious knowing about that angle of it as well. So how did the whole co-op thing from those various perspectives come to be? Yeah, so important point of clarification, we are not actually a worker-owner co-op. Okay. Um, the staff is unionized, um, which is another, we were the first, well, I guess microbrewery is a technical definition for the Brewers Association. So we were the first uh, unionized microbrewery, even though nobody uses that term anymore. But yeah, so we are organized as a consumer cooperative. So what that means, and hmm. the bulk of our employees are member owners in that consumer cooperative, but a worker owner co-op is, is a very different thing. It's, um, okay. it, it typically it would be like a, either a much bigger or a much smaller shop. So for us, when we started out, it was the three of us, my co-founders, Matt and Evan, who um, came up with the idea to start, just like everybody else who gets obsessed with homebrewing, they're like, yeah, we should, the world needs to drink our beers. Um, and we need to, <laughs> we need to start a brewery. Uh, and um, we very quickly gave up on that idea because we're smart enough to know that like at that point in 2007, like really nobody needed to drink those beers. 
<laughs> but then I, we all went our separate ways to go to graduate school. I left and I left Minneapolis and went to Austin, Texas and enrolled in grad school down there. And my homebrewing problem became a, a serious problem and enough that I actually like went and got a job and became a brewer. Um, and at that point we were like, okay, well maybe we should revisit this, but what's, you know, why, what's the, what's the raison d'etre? Why are we doing this? And um, a brewery in a brewery opened in Austin, in my neighborhood called Black Star, which was one of the very, very first cooperatively owned breweries to open in the country. Um, hmm. Somebody in the comments just called that Fifth Street. Um, absolutely another consumer co-op. And in the past, when we would pour at JBF, it's alphabetical by region. And so they would actually be like right next to us. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, anyway, a great that's a great place. Yeah. Black Star uh, inspired us. Um, I was, you know, we were all kind of interested in, in how corporate governance functioned. Um, and, and then Evan, my co-founder pointed out that Minnesota as a state has some really forward thinking statutes about how to get cooperative enterprise into parts of the economy where it doesn't normally show up. And so it was like, well, okay, let's give it a shot. Like if, if, if this is the thing that, you know, we feel strongly about and that we think is going to allow us to kind of like build community support to actually open a brewery, then let's, let's do it. And we were, Shocked and surprised pleasantly by how many people were willing to buy a share of the company sight unseen, having never met us, having never tried oh, the wow. beers. Um, and it's been, you know, we opened with, I think, like 300 or so member owners. And wow. like, I remember the first time I saw somebody wearing a Fair State t-shirt that I didn't know. And it was just like absolutely mind blowing. Um, That's cool. So yeah. Like, who are you? Why are you wearing our shirt? Thank yeah, you. I mean, but where did you even weird. get that thing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you're, yeah. you're up to like 2000 now? Uh, 2,700 at last time. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's yeah. That is a huge vote of confidence right there for sure. Yeah. And it, I mean, you guys all have the back, the, the tap room is the background in front of you. And like, it is very much a neighborhood bar. Um, mm. You know, our little corner of Northeast Minneapolis, the vast majority of our member owners um, have the same zip code as the brewery, you know, so it's huge. Um, and that, and Vienna Lager is a great beer to be drinking while we're talking about this. Cause it really is like a co-op member owner beer, like, those 2,700 people drive us to make that beer constantly. So oh, very well, cheers, yeah. cheers to them because they've got, us, yeah. they've, got us, they've got us in good <laughs> supply tonight for sure. I do want to go back a little bit to how, how you became the first union microbrewery because that only happened less than two years ago. Is that right? Yeah, it was. Man, during the well, pandemic. Yeah, exactly. What We'll just say during the pandemic because like what is. During the, during the first year of the pandemic. Let's what put is, it that what way. Is time? <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. So the, the. The CBA was actually was ratified last year, but it was an almost a year long uh, process because it's yeah. a very comprehensive uh, agreement. So, yeah, the staff, the staff uh, unionized in, in 2020. Yeah, I mean, I think that there were, were it's no secret. I think if anybody follows us, like we are fairly left left leaning sort of uh, <laughs> shop. When we started out, we were like, we're not going to be political. But, you know, we we got driven into our corner pretty quick. And that's that's we that's fine. We live with that. So uh, there was there was a lot of unionization talk going on in early pandemic um, in Minneapolis, and it's still going on. And there were some other there were some other fairly high profile you know things that happened, and coffee shops especially, um, and some restaurants, uh, another brewery locally. And so I think you know we the staff came our staff came to it of their own volition, and that's the way it needs to be, mm. right? Like this is the sort of thing where. As as a as a an owner of the company, as a member of management, you know, I can't I can't be like I don't wouldn't nor would I want to be seen to be sort of tampering in that process and trying to push them in that direction or away from that direction. Mm. Right. So it was completely completely up to them. They they arrived at the conclusion, they 
found the union they wanted to work with and they presented it to us and they said, look, we want to unionize. Um, and we voluntarily recognized the union. I, I think that we all sort of saw it coming and, and were kind of, um, I mean, it resulted in, in some serious work, you know, to really kind of like codify everything about our staff's employment at Fair State. But we're also excited because it's, it's been a really positive thing, actually. It, it, um, as a very small business and a small business owner, you know, it can be difficult to be heads up and planning, you know, like people will be like, what's the compensation structure? And I'm like, ah, I mean, we're trying to pay you as much as we possibly can. Um, <laughs> and so now there's an actual structure, right? There's like a three-year agreement that's structured and this is what the raises are and this is how the comp works and all of the things, all the benefits, they didn't really get any new benefits from us, but um, cause we were already giving them a lot of benefits, but you know, they're, it's all set up now and it all makes sense. You know, I actually think it's, it's great for the staff. Um, and I think for, for management, it's been, it's been good too, cause it kind of holds us to account and, and, you know, keeps us where we need to be. And another unique thing about our union is actually it's a front of house and back of house union. So the taproom staff and the, and the brewers and the packing staff and everybody and the salespeople, they're all in the same union. Very cool. Yeah. Keeping that structure in place is, is so ideal. I mean, yeah, like you said, it makes it a lot, a little bit easier and obviously your employees are happy and it probably helped out during the pandemic, having that in place. Cause you had all the structure and everything and, uh, and pivoting just a little bit, uh, we're going to hit COVID a little bit more at that topic here, but oh. something, something it's everywhere. Have, I know it's everywhere. <laughs> it's everywhere in the world. Uh, but something we haven't talked about yet on any of our Minnesota episodes yet is the Minnesota restrictions on to-go sales for breweries. Mm -hmm. So basically, breweries can't sell anything other than a crowler or growler directly to a consumer. And like I said, COVID is a topic. So during COVID, you guys took an interesting approach and had a machine fabricated as a way for fair state to adapt. Is that right? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So not only can we only sell crawlers, they're not even regular crawlers. They're 750 milliliter crawlers. Oh. It's very, it's, so there's, we're, we're constantly, the state is constantly, you know, at peril of running out of these things. Cause I don't know if anybody's heard, but cans are hard to get and ball mm -hmm. is the, the place that makes these things. They don't, I mean, why would they care about making 750 crawlers? So yeah, we're, yeah. we're living with this sort of Danicles just hanging over us. Um, yeah. There's actually a chance that the the state legislature will vote on reforming this this week. So not, I won't knock on wood because it'll mess up the audio. Fingers like, crossed. Knock on wood. <laughs> yes. So um, we're not the only people that did this. It was actually a, a right place, right time. There's a local company. Um, for whatever reason, Minnesota is a hot. I guess we grow a lot of corn here. There's a hot. It's a hotbed for microwave popcorn packaging uh, equipment manufacturing, which is really weird. Mm -hmm. Very um, interesting. Very niche business, but there was a there's a company um, north of us that that's their business, and and one of the guys was like a big beer person and understood that the laws were kind of weird and that small breweries were having a hard time packaging beer. And I guess the market for microwave popcorn filling machines was kind of soft, and so they said, "Well, what the heck? Let's let's try to like make up a a little single head canning line and sell it to people to fill crawlers." Um, and so we had, I think. Boy, it's one of the first five machines that rolled off the line um, that we have. So it's fantastic because now before, you know, early pandemic, we were, it was like all hands on deck filling these crawlers and they last like, you know, five days. It's, it's terrible. And now, now we have these crawlers that are, we, we put a 90 day code on them, but frankly, they're oftentimes like a, a lower dissolved oxygen fill than our standard cans because it's a, it has a lot of bells and whistles. So 
Yeah. I mean, we've run tens of thousands of growlers through it now, which is like a super weird thing, but yeah, it's, it's one of the, one of the one oddities. Of those, of one of those things. I really think that's a much better use of their resources than making microwave popcorn equipment because microwave popcorn is just a waste of time. Oh yeah. <laughs> Way too many unpop kernels in that. Uh, and it's funny in the in the chat, just going off of the laws, Mitch says, and I thought the laws in Texas were weird. So yeah. Yeah. who knew? Well, Minnesota's yeah. had, I remember growing up with the like, can we buy wine in the grocery store fights that continued to happen? Still and, can't and do it. Still, still can't do legal. it. Nope. Nope. All right. Well, not New York either for that matter. <laughs> New York seems like a wonderland to me, but yeah, we have more restrictive beer laws than Utah at this point. So yeah. Wow. <laughs> All right. Well, something to work on then. Room for room for growth, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, uh, pray for us, everybody, because it, it <laughs> exactly. might happen. Yeah. All right. Fingers crossed uh, all across the board. Now, um, speaking of new new developments, you, I believe, are uh, introduced as director of new product development. So does that mean that you are sort of the king of experimentation within the brew house? Yeah. So when we started out, I was a the, the production department was a one man show. It's just me. Um, and so I was the original head brewer. Uh, we, we started out at the little brewery that's, you know, in your fake background there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we opened our production brewery in St. Paul in 2017. I was the head brewer there. Company grew to, you know, 10,000 plus barrels. Um, and it, the, it became a, a management puzzle that wasn't really my, wasn't really my thing. So we hired a much more talented person or two people actually to do that sort of brewery management. And yeah, I, um, yeah, my purview is, is new beers. So director of new product development kind of makes it sound a little bit more highfalutin than it is, but I'm on, I'm in charge of, of keeping on top of existing beers. And then also, uh, being kind of the final say in, um, all of the new stuff that we make. So we put out a new beer every week. Um, oh. we do two LTOs into distribution every month. Uh, and then we have the small batch stuff at, at the little brewery. And then we've been sticking our toe into some other things as well. We just put out a hop water that we're all pretty psyched about. Um, that's okay. rolling out into self-distro right now. And um, there's some other NA things going on. And we'll do f- funny stuff, like kind of we turned the taproom into a cocktail bar uh, a month or so ago. So oh. I did a bunch of work making uh, like hard, hard seltzer-based Campari and, you know, various barrel-aged things. Yeah. So I have kind of an interesting job. All right. Yeah, that sounds say, fun. That does sound really fun. Uh, and all those sound excellent. Like I'll be right over once I get on my flight. <laughs> yes. um, but uh, but I do want to know, because I, I love a, a good uh, kind of disaster story. Uh, are there any experiments that maybe quite didn't quite go as planned? Oh, absolutely. I mean, most of those things don't ever see the light of day. So I can't of course. Like, reference something on Untapped that everybody should go look up that was horrible. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I would mean, hope not. I yeah. hope not. <laughs> it, well, sometimes things slip out, right? You don't mm. want them to be, but no, it totally happens. Uh, it sounds like that, a double entendre there. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's kind of like a it's a little bit of a battle because I do feel like we are sort of akin to a kitchen in the sense that, like, as brewers, we have like a slate of ingredients that we feel very comfortable with, right? So right. I can make a new IPA recipe for next month and feel very confident that I know exactly how it's going to come out. So you could fall into that trap and just only make those beers, right? And and only do things that you know are going to work out. Um, but one of the one of the joys of having the little brewery, the little seven barrel breweries, we can kind of swing for the fences and do some some oddball stuff, uh, try things out, and uh, and do things like barrel aged hard seltzer, you know. So yeah, I mean, every once in a while we get a miss, and uh, and we just you know take good notes, and uh, maybe we do it again, maybe we don't. <laughs> 
this barrel aged hard seltzer thing is is getting me a little excited. Actually, I know hard seltzers are a little divisive, but I'm now fascinated. Like, it I, just I would, I would really try, dirty. I would try it at least once. Yeah. Well, yeah. I tell you what, we've done it a couple times, and it it is it's primarily good for for blending into things. Um, it tastes. So what we will make, we'll make very, very high alcohol hard seltzer. We don't make like hard seltzer and put it in cans and sell it out into the world. We just, it's like not a market that we want to be in, but uh, yeah, we do make this very high alcohol stuff. And that's, um, that's, it, it's useful for like our slushing machine program, for example, but yeah, uh, doing barrel aging stuff. Uh, what I was trying to do was build like tiki drinks. And so I was like, well, how do I approximate uh, barrel aged rum? Well, like, okay. Let's barrel age some 17% alcohol hard seltzer in a, in a rum barrel for like a year and a half. And then, you know, blend in some other things to kind of like zhuzh it up a little bit. And it was, I think that the cocktails came out pretty well, um, but I'm not sure I would recommend like vintaging the actual bottles and stuff. Like sitting, <laughs> I, I don't think that's it. Noted. We, uh, we, we did have one question uh, in the, I mean, I mentioned before about your collaboration you did with shells for that union lager. We had a question in the chat about a collaboration you did with, burial beer from Asheville called a light in dark places when all of the lights go out. Yeah. Burial is, is famous for long names. And so we decided to out, out long name them. Um, (laughs) He went for it in a flash. Yeah. It was like, so it's a Lord of the Rings reference, but yeah, that was a fun beer that just came out. Um, It's actually, it's one of the May beers that we put out. So the craft brewers conference was in Minneapolis uh, Mm -hmm. in May and for that reason, um, a lot of vendors were, you know, popping up and asking people to make beers out of very specific products to kind of showcase. And that was, that particular beer was a, a partnership with, uh, with YCH, with Yakma Chief Hops. And it featured HBC 630, which is an as yet unnamed uh, aroma variety that they're, they're pretty excited about. So um, they asked us to pair with another brewery to feature it. And um, we have done a few projects with Burial in the past and I knew that they were actually going to be coming through town. So I called them up. They said, let's do it. And it was a fun excuse to actually make pale ale. We don't get to make a lot of pale ales anymore. Um, people really kind of just want to buy IPAs. But special occasion, uh, we felt we had carte blanche to do whatever we wanted. So we made a fairly crispy little pale ale um, and put a whole bunch of Simcoe and 630 in there. 630 is, is a really interesting hop. It is really the big spike on what they call the sweet aromatic. Um, which is proving to be kind of the secret sauce with some of the new aroma varieties, but to my mind, and then also, you know, just from feedback from YCH before we even brewed it, like it really, it does kind of need to get balanced out by something. And so that's why we went for Simcoe is kind of like, you can't miss, you can't miss with Simcoe in, in my opinion. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm people that seem to like it. I'm, I'm psyched about it. It's like black can, black label, gold lid, you know, it was, it's a whole mood. <laughs> it's a whole mood. I love it. Yeah. Speaking of beer. Yes. I was well, going to say, I'm, I'm empty, I think guys. we were all going to say the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm not quite empty, but yeah, I think it's time to get into this pills. Let's take a beer break and talk about flour. Once upon a time, Minneapolis was the flour milling capital of the world. Positioned on the banks of the mighty Mississippi River, Minneapolis took advantage of the great potential energy generated by St. Anthony Falls and grew exponentially as the flour mills dominated the cities. From 1870 to 1890, the city grew from about 13,000 to 165,000 residents, fueled by the flour mills and the adjacent businesses and all the jobs that they brought. Today, this rich, doughy history is preserved at the Mill City Museum, located on the former site of the city's largest mill, the Washburn Crosby A. Mill. 
They also hold a uh, lovely farmer's market there on weekends, and I had quite the nice time visiting. Now, let's get back to the show. Yeah, Nico, we, uh, someone told us that the, this is your desert island beer. Could you tell us what it is specifically you love so much about the this pills? Well, I think it's a little bit of a tourism, you know, that the, the longer you're in the, the brewing industry, the more you just want to drink pale lager beer. I have found that to be true, certainly for myself. Brewers love Pilsners. Um, and this particular beer, you know, we've been making it consistently since I think late 2014. And it, it really is kind of a labor of love. Uh, it's a very simple beer. You know, it's, it's one malt, one hop. Um, mm-hmm. We do a whole bunch of those like hot side uh, brew has kind of tricks that I was talking about and then really just kind of make, make room for letting it lager for a long time. We do have some horizontal lagering tanks. So we'll actually do like a two tank solution. Yeah. I mean, I think so Thursday pills is going to be a little bit more bitter, a little bit more hoppy than a lot of pills mm-hmm. you run into. It's sort of a mashup almost of like a Czech style pills and a Northern German style pills. So Czech style pills would be like Pilsner, Pilsner or Cal would be the classic, right? Like way maltier, a fair amount of residual sugar left in there. You've got saws hops. It's very soft, very round. The water chemistry favors that. And then you kind of do this progression through, you know, Bavaria up into Northern Germany. By the time you get to Northern Germany up by Denmark, it's the water is much harder. You're using mm-hmm. different hops that have a very totally different profile. The beers tend to be drier and snappier, paler. Um, Yever is one of my, one of my favorite Northern German pills. And so for us, it's like, well, let's take the Northern German kind of hop profile and smush it onto, um, you know, a little bit more of like the bohemian kind of thing. And so you've got a fair amount of malt body. It is nice and snappy and crispy. Mm-hmm. And then we really just slam the heck out of it with a uh, Hollertown middle fruit. So you're getting a ton of kind of very grassy, classic sort of noble hop aroma in there. Definitely. Oh, I'm, I'm going to enjoy the heck out of this one. <laughs> I mean, both of them are phenomenal. Well, I was just going to say, I think people think that like, you know, loggers, loggers and hops, are, are they're like, in, they don't go together. I have a good friend who works, you know, in the, the hop game and he likes to refer to it as a yakamitis. It's like this, like, you can only get your head around American hops if it doesn't smell like a pine cone or a, uh, you know, uh, a, a lemon or whatever. Like, it's just not a hop. And so yeah, people are like, well, you know, I only like hoppy beers. Like, well, you should really try just, just humor me. Like, here's one for free. Just give it a shot. Cause you know, hops, hops are a whole thing unto itself. Somebody asked in the chat about water chemistry. Yeah. Water, water chemistry is huge, especially for very delicate beers like this. Um, you know, a, a hard water supply. So Minnesota has hard water, but Minneapolis and St. Paul are fortunate in that our water, so our water supply um, actually comes from the Mississippi river. So it's, it's really good water. It's surface water, um, super soft. And so that allows us to actually um, play around with water chemistry and really kind of build on it um, in, in productive ways. And so like even the Vienna Lager and the Pills, the two beers that y'all are drinking, we were doing slightly different things to water chemistry in those two beers. I was just going to say in the chat, uh, someone mentioned the can design looks like a take off of Miller High Life. Was that intentional? Oh. I mean, high compliment. <laughs> I don't know. If I, I... <laughs> Cheers to that. High Life is a beautiful package. I, I think we're a little bit different than High Life, but we definitely were kind of leaning on the like retro thing for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's some there's some good little like Easter eggs on the can. Um, Jared, who does all the production planning, everything for us, like he, he they were the one that came up with uh, German tradition, American steel, um, which is <laughs> just fun. Um, I wrote, um, what is it? The fancy beer that fine folks choose. 
And then it's like <laughs> the beer brewers drink with brewers drink beer, blah, 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 blah. The next time we redesign the can, it's actually going to say brewed with St. Paul's finest city water on it. Ah. Oh, there you go. Tie in that, that water. I like it. So one of the things that we love about local craft breweries on this show is that they give back to their communities and this brewery through its community outreach arm, Fair State Cooperatives, the brewery has partnered with a different nonprofit organization monthly. So can you talk a little bit about the importance of that outreach to Fair State and the co-op members? Yeah, absolutely. So the way it works is that essentially we take 10% off the top of our to-go sales from every month and they go to the charitable partner for that month. And one of the ways in which this is a reflection of our co-op member ownership is that we'll, we'll pick sort of issue areas and then the, um, the member owners and staff and everybody are, are actually able to nominate organizations, local, local orgs, that they would like to see be part of the Cooperates program. Um, and then actually at the, do we do it at the well, annual meeting? It's, a, it's like a vote. It's a popular vote. So the top 12, top 12 orgs are the ones um, that we partner with. In pre-pandemic times, we would always do, we would try to always do some sort of service day with that, with the, the work for that month or have them come in at the table. And that it's coming back a little bit, but obviously was, was more difficult to do, but it's, it's a huge part of, of what we do. And it is, it ends up being a pretty big chunk of trunk of cash, frankly, because it's like, it is 10% of these to go things. And so that number went way up in real dollar <laughs> terms during pandemic. Cause we were doing so much to go stuff. I don't know. I, I like I, I appreciate that it's a reflection of what the, the member ownership wants us to be supporting. You know? That is so nifty. Well, uh, on the other complete other side of that, uh, I am, you know, a giant social media lover of all kinds. Uh, and of course, when I knew you were coming on the show, I had to pop on to the Instagrams uh, just in case you are following along at home. I believe you guys are at Fair State Co-op. Yep. Rock and roll. Um, and your Instagram is fantastic. Shows off all your beautiful stuff, uh, including, you know, pictures of your spaces and your beers. But one thing that I really uh, was intrigued by is that you have little descriptions at the bottom of each element that sort of is like an explanation of what's happening in the picture. I don't see a ton of breweries doing that. Can you tell me a little bit about why you guys do that? Sure. Yeah. It was actually a request that came to us um, and it seemed like an easy thing to do. So it's an all text thing. Like if a visually impaired person is using Instagram, for example, right. Uh, it basically, there are applications that will read that alt text out loud to basically oh, say, cool. you know, like this is what's happening. And that's, that's the whole thing. It's just an accessibility thing. It's all good. Wow. Well, and directly so cool. as, as a request yeah. by uh, it's uh, by your, you know, beer drinkers. That's really Yeah. Cool. Someone, someone brought it up and it was like, well, this is a low hanging fruit. Like we can totally do this. Yeah. And if you, if you look through, like some of them are kind of cheeky, it's, it's, you know, you'll get a little Easter egg in there once in a while. I love that you guys are hiding things for us to find, whether it's on the cans or on the gram. There's always a little extra thing to keep looking for with you guys. Look alive. Look alive with Fair State. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I want to go back. We didn't really talk a whole lot about the about the taste of this beer. A little bit, but I just like I, I what I am really struck by with this one by the Pilsner here is that it's like it's it's much hoppier than almost any Pilsner I've ever had. It's just really there. It's forward. It, but because it's a Pilsner, it's still easy drinking. It's just uh, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, it is. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I love the dry finish. It is sort of yeah. uh, delightfully unexpected, but in a wonderful way. So, well, I, I mean, you mentioned before that you're of all the places you've, you've lived, that you're originally from the New England area, but you spent time in Texas and traveled to a lot of the other great beer scenes in your journey as the as the founding brewer of Fair State. What, what makes the beer scene in the Twin Cities special? 
Well, I mean, I think the fact that we have such terrible beer laws and such a strong <laughs> beer team really does. It says a lot. I mean, it really does say a lot. You know, I think, and not to like harp on the, the law thing, but I think, you know, a lot of times it doesn't strike people or people don't really think about the fact that we do have such terrible beer laws because they're like, but what do you mean? There's tons of breweries everywhere and it's great. And I think that just goes to show that one of the, one of the things that makes us special is that there are very dedicated people who are into craft beer that are, they're smart, they're informed, they know what's up and they're going to all these breweries all the time. And, you know, as a, as a brewer, especially when we were small, it's really nice to have that feedback all the time from people come in and be like, well, that didn't work, you know, or like this did or whatever. (laughs) And so like, you know, that's, I think that's a huge, that's a huge part of it. One thing that I'm excited about, you know, as the scene gets a little bit more mature and openings are starting to slow a little bit, you know, we're starting to look more like, not to put us in the same conversation, but we're starting to look a little bit more like a Denver or whatever in terms of density mm-hmm. of breweries. One of the things that I really appreciate about scenes like, especially like Denver or San Diego or whatever, is that there seems to be, there. there's this tipping point where they're like, there's room for people to kind of really specialize in what, what they want to do and really, yeah. really just do like that one thing. Right. So even in Denver, it's like, you've got beer shot, they're making like the German style beers and then cohesion. Now they're making the Czech style beers. So I'm, I'm really excited to see that begin to happen here. I think there, there's room for somebody to open up like an English style brewery again. Right. Which oh, yeah. is, would be, which would be amazing. And it hasn't happened in years. And so that's another thing that I'm, uh, that I'm excited about. Also like just the quality is pretty high, I think across the board. Oh yeah. Definitely. I've been, I've been shocked every time I've gone back to, you know, visit with family at, at how amazing the Minnesota beer scene has grown in the time that I've been there. And I know my, my dad uh, and I were chatting about how one of his favorite things when he does beer night with his buddies is to swing by Holy land right across the street, grab some snacks. Uh, you know, Holy land is this like institution of middle Eastern food in the twin cities uh, and then swing on over to fair state and grab a couple beers. So, you know, yep, they are, are across the street neighbors. Yes. And, and yeah, like you said, turning maybe into something like Denver, but we like to focus on these smaller cities that are, are on the rise uh, with Brews Less Traveled because we want to bring people to these lesser known areas and get to know these breweries that they really should know and start talking about because you're growing, you're growing pretty fast too. Um, so final question of the evening. All right. What is one thing that you wish the Twin Cities were more well known for? It doesn't have to be beer related. It can be anything related. Mm. Yeah, it's a loaded question. Right there. Well, it is. It's a bit of a loaded question because, like, one of the one of the things that's really nice about Minneapolis-St. Paul. I mean, we always want the city to grow. We we always want there to be an influx of new things. But like, I, you know, there's a little bit of sense. Like, do I really want to tell you what's really good? Because <laughs> one of the nice things about it, the about the Twin Cities is that the weather is super cold, so it kind of keeps out the riffraff. You know what I mean? Very like, true. Oh, yeah, uh, you have to, you have to, wa- you have to want to move to Minneapolis to move to Minneapolis. But you know, one of the, there's like, these are going to sound like cliche things, but really I do think we're, we're like, we're punching above our weight in terms of restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a ton of super good restaurants. Like the, just the number of like James Beard nominations that come out of Minneapolis every year is crazy. Um, and then art stuff, you know, I, there's, it's not true, but there's this, there's this factoid that goes around about like number of theater seats per capita. And we're like way, way up there. That and then also the park system. Minneapolis is consistently ranked like top five bicycle friendly cities, even though we have crazy winters. Um, and our park system is always, always, always top five. So, is that a bike share rack we see uh, in this picture that all of us are pretending to be in front of? <laughs> that's 
That's actually our bike rack. But yeah, okay. is, the city does ah. have a bike share program and there's a rack like a block and a half down from the brewery. So yeah, okay. I don't know. It's a fantastic place and uh, it's definitely, you know, worth coming to and come in the winter, man. Cause like, yeah. then you'll really see it, you know? Also you will see people biking in the winter, which is <laughs> one of the most impressed, like as it, that is, that is not easy to do in a hardcore Minnesota winter. Oh no, not at all. And it, and I know Laura said that was maybe the last question, but we did get a real interesting one in the chat just now because actually it's something I want to know as well. So that makes it especially interesting. So uh, mentioning about the various restricted sales laws, where where can we find your beers? Because usually I've noticed when you mention these things on Instagram, you'll have about six states that are your main distribution states. But as I said, New York isn't one of them. And and my local place, I'll mention the name again, Beer and Cheese Collective, they, they re- do really regularly. They're big fans of you. And they get, in fact, when I reached out to Ryan today about any questions he might have, he said, oh, I'm really excited. We just got in some, I think, some summer lagers from you. Uh, and, and, and I'm looking forward to checking those out. So, so where can people find you? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, these, these weird laws really only apply to like our ability to sell stuff directly to consumers. So we have, you know, the vast majority of beer goes in, in regular size cans and kegs. Um, and obviously Minnesota, Wisconsin, part of Iowa, and then like the parts of South and North Dakota where there are people, that's our, that's like <laughs> our, our, that's our home footprint. Um, but beyond that, so my Texas connections, and then also our director of sales is a, a former Texas guy. So pretty regular, somebody just said Dallas, pretty regularly Dallas, Houston, um, and especially Austin, Texas. And then we do, so sort of our distribution model is a little bit like high spotting where we don't have consistent distribution in places. We're not big enough. We, we like to work with small distributors that really aren't going to just like order 10 pallets of stuff and then have it sit and die and then complain that there's old beer. So we sell beer periodically or like on a fairly regular basis in the States of um, Indiana, Ohio, Michigan, I already mentioned Texas is like pretty much a full-time market for us. And then, yeah, like big cities like New York, um, the surrounding areas, especially in the Connecticut direction. Um, and then uh, on the West Coast, um, intermittently in uh, the Los Angeles, San Diego area, and then also in Portland. Um, and that's kind of where we're at. Oh, and then Japan. You can find our beer some places in Japan. Oh, whoa, yeah. international. Oh, oh, somebody said Philly. Oh, I, and I'm a jerk because... <laughs> Because Nebulous, our, our, our uh, um, Pennsylvania distributor, actually is an awesome partner, and we do send beer to them very, very regularly. I'm sure I forgot somebody else too, and then somebody else is going to call me out. But. <laughs> no, that's awesome. And I'm really excited to hear that you distribute in Indiana and Michigan, because I am in Southern Indiana, and I usually can't find the beers that we're talking about on the show, so I'm really pumped. And then I grew up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Yes, I am a youper, so I totally relate to all of these snow references that were just yes. happening. I was just like, this is my people. I love it. Um, but yes, Nico, do you have anything else that you would like to plug before we clock out of here? I mean, we've, I think we've done a pretty good job. I, I guess I would say like, you know, we, we mentioned the social media or whatever, like, you know, follow us on there and then, you know, hit us up. Like if there are places you really want to see the beer and, uh, you know, maybe we can make it happen. And then also like come to Minneapolis, you know, it's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Ethan, Glenn, do you have anything else? Any final thoughts for the evening? You've got a speechless. Uh, yeah, say yeah, yeah. This, is, we, this has been a whirlwind this evening. Yeah. I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still wondering. I know Brian told us some some excuses for why he's not here. I, I have a feeling he's out. Uh, he went into a Brendan Fraser deep dive. Which is, uh, <laughs> oh, callback from last week. I love hey, you it. Know, you know, I, I, I know that Ethan and Nico don't necessarily know what I'm talking about, but I know that the people in the who are the, are, are, the, people, the audience out there knows what I mean. 
Well, Nico, we've been really excited to get a chance to chat with you. So thank you so much for being so open and telling us so many great stories of Fair State. Um, we're huge fans. And so it was great to have you here and great to drink some beer, some of your beers with you tonight. Yeah, yeah it's been my great. pleasure. Happy to do it. These are Definitely. fantastic beers. Well, huge thanks to Nico for joining us and for supplying some amazing loggers for this episode. You can find more from Fair State at fairstate.coop. That's Fair State, period. C-O-O-P. If you're enjoying the show, the best way to support us is to join the beer club over at bravana.com. You'll get amazing beers from awesome local breweries shipped directly to you every month. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and untapped at Bravana. Brian will be back next week. All right. Fingers crossed. So he will, <laughs> fingers crossed. He will be here to close out this series of episodes on the Twin Cities with our friends at Falling Knife Brewing Company. Until then, as Brian always says, stay safe. Be kind and support local breweries. Yes. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Cheers.